0: This is VSIN's College Football Betting Podcast.
2: Welcome in, everyone. Another edition of the VSIN College Football Betting Podcast. We're going three wide. We started our first ever podcast with the three of us. We had differing schedules throughout the football season, but we convene to get a full breakdown of the national championship. Matt Newmans, Adam Burke, myself, Tim Murray, with you, solid bowl season, gentlemen. Overall, on official plays in the podcast, nineteen nine and one. Uh, we won't, you know, talk about Wes Reynolds going one and two when he pinch hit uh, on this podcast. I mean, bringing us down. Um, but you know, we we power through the weak links.
3: Yeah, don't Uh, do that. Don't do that because Wes is really sensitive. And if he (laughs) knows that you took a shot at him, Tim,
2: it's going to be hell to pay. We love you, Wes. And, uh, no, we had uh, had a great season. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll wrap it up with uh, some sort of victories here in the national championship. We are recording this on Thursday afternoon, so still a couple days away from the national championship out at SoFi Stadium. And, Matt, you told everyone, put everything you own – Westgate thousand to one, circa five hundred to one. TCU will be playing for the national championship, and, and no one listened to you, Matt. I just don't know why.
3: <laughs> you know, last week uh, that number was being knocked around. That TCU was two hundred to one at the South Point. And a lot of people are wow, two hundred to one. Well, like you mentioned, Tim, it was five hundred at the Westgate, 1,000 at Circa. I think it's flip-flops. Or
2: whatever. Yeah, yeah. still available out there. As you
3: can tell, I didn't bet it at either place. <laughs> and um, I never considered TCU, which was picked to finish seventh uh, by some in the uh, preseason Big 12 poll. So, <clears throat> you know, I've said many times, and now I'm proven wrong, that you can't find the long shots like you can in college basketball to win the championship in, in college football. And this year we have a Cinderella, and TCU is there. And knocking on the door, and uh, we'll see what you guys think about the frogs' chances of being live dogs on uh, Monday night. But there's a lot to talk about in this game. I will ask uh, before we get there: your guys' your most disappointing uh, team from the bowl season, because we you kind of we, were, we said we were 19 and nine in the bowl season, and. It was a great bowl season for the most part from a betting perspective for me and a lot of people, but it ended on a down note with Utah, which was a big flop in the Rose Bowl. And I was very disappointed in the Utes, but I don't think they were the most disappointing team by far. Uh, how about you guys? Who, who disappointed you the most in the bowl I'll season? I'll start
2: with most disappointing, and I think you have to look at UCLA as being pretty high up there. Yeah. Uh, they closed nine-point favorites, steam going their way the entire time. We find out Dorian Thompson Robinson's going to be playing, even though Zach Charbonnet, you know, practiced down in El Paso and then was a late scratch. I still anticipated them to roll a Pittsburgh team that was dealing with opt-outs everywhere. Yeah. And they go down there, and DTR plays a really pitiful, pitiful game uh, in that one. So, you know, for a team that was a, a nine-point favorite, one of the bigger favorites to go down in bowl season, I, I certainly have to say they were disappointing because there were some other teams, guys, that I think a lot of us bet against. You know, you know, betting against a team like Baylor playing Air Force. I think we were on that in this podcast. To me, that's not a, a big disappointment. I mean, a team that I bet in our last podcast, um, and that was more on me because I thought MJ Morris would play for NC State. He did not. Yeah. Uh, but their offense was just trash. I mean, their defense played well. But I, I think to me, guys, the biggest disappointment, I would probably have to say with the expectations that they would play okay, was either UCLA or Clemson. Yeah. Because Clemson, what, what did we talk about? Cade Klubnick's going to play. They just won the ACC championship. Hendon Hooker's out. Uh, Tillman is out. Hyatt is out for Tennessee. No motivation for the Vols. And they played really poor. So I would say the two biggest disappointments for me this bowl season based off of expectations heading into their respective games, would be UCLA and Clemson. All right, before Adam answers, I want to say that those are my two answers, too.
3: (laughs) Great minds, think alike. It's a Tennessee defense that allowed 63 points to South Carolina. And Adam, how does Clemson run 100 plays, 100 offensive plays, and score 14 points in that game? So, yeah, I'm going to go with UCLA and Clemson as well.
4: Yeah, I think those are two really good answers, especially Clemson, because, you know, we, we expected the change to Clubnick to really be a positive for them. And it I mean, he had, you know, big passing yardage. But as you said, they didn't really translate anything into points. Utah is the biggest one for me. I really liked Utah. I had them high up in terms of a confidence pick. Yeah. I do not like James Franklin. I do not think that he's a good in-game head coach. But Kyle Whittingham got pantsed in that game. And yeah. that's something that does not happen often. Uh, to utah and that wasn't that good of a utah performance before cam rising got hurt that's right so i would say that the utes but then another one for me and he just got nine million dollars per year lane kiffin and old miss i mean they had effectively 10 turnovers in that game against texas tech they had five actual and then went two for seven on fourth down gave up 42 points yeah they had 560 yards but that's kind of what old miss does they're able to move the ball but they
3: just didn't pay attention to the details late in the season, and it worries me about Ole Miss going into next year. I guess a good point because that was an old that was a no show performance by the Rebels, and I don't think Lane Kiffin has much momentum going in that program right now because he wanted out, and the players
2: know that he wanted out, and uh, that's a good one too. Yeah, I was surprised there was some a little bit of backing in the market on Ole Miss. I I, I wasn't very high on Ole Miss. You looked at who they had played and then you know down the stretch. I'll give you real quickly before we get to the national championship, a couple teams that I thought were disappointing in wins. I thought Florida State would give a better effort. I thought they had a chance to blow them out. They would close as a double-digit favorite against Oklahoma. Another team with a ton of opt outs. They got run on really well yeah. uh, by Oklahoma, which was a surprise considering their, you know, lead back was out. And then Oregon closed what? As the biggest favorite of bowl season? One of, if not the biggest and they needed a a last-second score with basically their entire team intact. So, look, I I don't glean too much on close victories, but I thought Oregon and Florida State, while the Florida State game was incredibly entertaining, I was pretty surprised that both of those teams struggled as much as they did, knowing what their opponent had on the field entering that game.
3: You know, and also, I was at the Holiday Bowl, and what struck me was uh, when that after the first drive of the game, the Ducks moved right down the field. They were getting 5, 10, 15 yards of carry. And it would have taken, at that point, a very poor coaching job on the on behalf of Dan Lanning for the Ducks not to win that game. What'd they do when they were running at will? They started putting the ball in Bo Nix's hands and letting him throw it around the yard. And bad things started to happen. North Carolina got back in the game. I don't... I don't give that Oregon coaching staff high marks. The Ducks were lucky to win that game. They should have won that game in a blowout, uh, by the way. Okay, I don't want to be negative about everything. Go ahead, Adam. <laughs> I want to ask real quick about the Sugar Bowl uh-huh. because, you know, a lot of us
4: kind of expected Bryce Young and Will Anderson not to play. They wind up playing. And Alabama looked really, really good in that game. Had over nine yards per play. Kansas State could not get any early down success defensively. Bryce Young threw for 321 yards and five touchdowns on 15 completions. Yeah. Was that just Alabama being Alabama was that a commentary on Kansas State possibly going into next year just curious how you guys kind of process that one I Tim I'll start with you
2: um I thought it was Alabama being Alabama and you know we hadn't seen that a ton this year and I I know that there was a an outcry for them to make the playoff And, and hell if they had made the playoff maybe we'd be talking about them right now I didn't think they deserved to make the playoff I thought they had a lot of issues all season long but for them to go in and dominate in the way that they did, especially down 10 to nothing, you could have seen some other teams mm-hmm. that don't have the, you know, the culture or the tradition that Alabama has down 10, nothing. You've got the number one overall pick likely in Bryce Young. You've got Will Anderson. You've got Jameer Gibbs. You could have just seen them pack it and say, all right, forget this. We tried we're out and that wasn't the case. So, you know, I'm always going to be a high, you know, believer in Kansas state and that program with Chris, Chris but I think we also have to remember, you know, as you know, and as I'll mention when we get to the Georgia TCU breakdown, stars do matter. And the way that Alabama recruits year after year and the way that Kansas State recruits, Kansas State's always, at least I believe, Matt, going to get the best out of their team with Chris Kleiman. But there's always going to be a ceiling because they don't recruit at the top five, top three level each and every year like Alabama does. Yeah, you're right. But Kansas State was outclassed. They were. By
3: Bama. <laughs> And that makes you wonder a little bit about this TCU Georgia matchup too. So uh, I'm gonna, I would do want to wrap it up. How about your most satisfying wins? The teams that uh, you came out of the bowl season feeling the best about because you bet on them and they didn't make you sweat. I'm going to go with Fresno State. Yep. How about Air Force? Yep. Washington? A little sweater. early. Texas? A little yeah, sweat early. I sweat that one a little bit, but little, Washington yep. as a dog wins out right in the Alamo. And... Uh, I'm going to wrap it up with, uh, as a handicapper, I was very satisfied with the Ohio State performance because I had to kind of really talk myself into the Buckeyes in that game, and I th- thought I handicapped it pretty well. Buckeyes let Georgia off the hook. They blew the game.
2: I'll uh, I'll go before, uh, you know, because Adam's still kind of mourning that loss uh, there for his Buckeyes. But, you know, it's funny, Matt, when we did – the last podcast you sent in your plays and ohio state was one of them and and i had kind of started to turn the corner and then during that podcast i went back and listened to it and i i didn't give it out because you were giving it out um but i i i bet that game so I, i was very satisfied with the way that one played uh played out there um you know we had some similar plays fresno state being one of them you know um being at uh, the Vegas Bowl, I played the under Oregon State, Florida. That was a, a nice one, and then uh, one that was uh, two that were no sweats that I gave out on the podcast. In addition to the ones you mentioned, Duke, I thought I really handicapped that one well. I knew that team was going to be incredibly motivated. They were, and uh, they they were the they were the better team. It, rarely do you get a Power Five team more interested than a Group of Five team, but that was absolutely <laughs> the case at the Military Bowl, and then Texas Tech. You know. Um, I got a little bit worried. That line started to go the other way, so I, I got a little spooked there because I gave it out in the podcast, but they were the right side the whole way. Yep. So uh, there were a handful, um, you know, like you mentioned, Air Force. I think a lot of us, you know, at the network, we had it on the podcast. That was an easy winner. Uh, the Fresno State game, no doubt. Once again, Group of Fivers, Power Five, Motivation, Jake Hayner, Final Game, all of that. And then, you know, you mentioned a team that might excite you going into next year. And I don't never, I, I try not to build too much off of a bowl game, guys. But I was really impressed by how Kalen DeBoer and Michael Penix Jr. adapted in that game because they're a deep, go down the field, explosive offense. They weren't getting that against Texas and they had to alter their game plan and they just kind of dink and dunk their way to a victory over Texas. I was really impressed. Overall, by the performance of Washington, and they're going to build that momentum. Eleven and two going into next year, they're they're going to be a scary team and a team that's preseason top ten. You know, maybe even top five in some people's eyes heading into next year.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think the easiest one for me was the two lane USC over. I mean, I, I don't know <laughs> if I'll ever have an, an easier bowl winner than that. You know, we think about what it means going into next. Did you have season. LSU
2: minus nine? <laughs>
4: <laughs> that was another uh, that, one. That was an easy one too. I know
3: what you might have said,
4: but you know, going into next year, it's going to be really interesting to see how USC is viewed because obviously Caleb Williams is a very, very special player. Won the Heisman Trophy, threw for 462 yards in the bowl game. Do they fix that defense? I mean, d- does it take firing Alex Grinch to do it? Like, what what do they do well, to try was, and figure Supposed to be out? the answer, right? I. Yeah, he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be the answer at Ohio State, too, and yeah. that didn't really work out either. So this is a guy that's had really high-profile jobs with talent and done very little with it. So that's a team I'm really curious to see how they're kind of viewed from a win total standpoint, from a future standpoint, all that going to next season because – that defense is really, really, really awful. The other one that I hit that you know I was pretty happy with was Marshall over UConn. Mm. You know, I don't think a lot of people wanted to lay that Marshall number. Popular dog. UConn was a really, really great story, and Jim Mora Jr. did a hell of a job with that team. But Marshall's just really, really solid year in and year out. They just maximize their talent so well, regardless of who's coaching. That was a really nice win, I think, for Marshall. That probably won't get the credit it deserves because UConn was a 500 team, but. UConn, as you mentioned, Tim, was a very trendy team that came up short, and Marshall covered a big number there. Good. Matt,
3: you didn't mention— Good shout-out to the Thundering Herd. By the way, my uncle was a graduate of the Marshall Medical School. Really? Oh,
2: yeah. You also didn't mention, Matt, huh? your, your easiest winner of bowl season. Kansas plus three. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> Tim, I was at the Holiday Bowl that I'm night. I've texted <laughs> I'm Matt because I knew he was at the game. I'm like, oh, my God, are you seeing this? He's like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs>
3: I had no idea what's going on in that game. I'm glad I wasn't watching it. Uh, Yeah, that was a no-sweat winner.
2: Well, it was all in all, very good bowl season. Thanks to everyone who has listened. I do want to, Tim, real quick, follow up on Adam's point because USC
3: is going to be a hot topic going into next season. How do you pile up about 600 yards, never punt, and lose a game? And the defense is going to be a big issue. Also... As Caleb Williams comes back as a Heisman winner, a lot of times that doesn't work out so well for a guy. uh, It didn't work out so well for Bryce Young this year. He won the Heisman, came back, didn't have as good a year. Is Caleb Caleb Williams going to have a worse year than he had this year? I think it's possible. Also, with all that NIL money, is USC becoming a little bit too much of a a professional type of program where kind of a a soft culture develops? I think that's going to be something that really interesting to watch as college football changes, where you get some players making a lot of money and other players making very little or no mm-hmm. money, and there's going to be a divide in the locker room, and I think USC is one, going to be one of those programs you have to watch because it really blew up at Texas A&M.
4: Well, and when you look at how that game played out, too, you know, we talk about the talent disparity between Alabama and Kansas State as an example Tulane is not recruiting on the same level that USC is and I know that USC has fallen down the recruiting rankings the last few years but Tulane hung 46 points on a defense that at least has a bunch of three and four star kids so what, what is the answer mm-hmm. for USC here and, and I think and this is a huge rabbit hole to go down obviously we don't need to do it but as USC transitions into the Big Ten you know what happens with them defensively there. Where if they're in the West and the, the divisions are kind of the same as they currently are, the West is pretty bad in the Big Ten. But they're gonna have to play more physical types of teams, Sure. and I don't know how they're gonna be able to stack up with that. So the USC program is is in a really interesting spot right now, where I don't know if we can you know be fortune tellers and and kind of figure this thing out. But I at least know that for next year. There are more than enough concerns. We did not have any piece of this team to win the title, win anything going into next year.
2: Look, I never, I didn't think they would win, you know, go over their win total. I thought it was overinflated. Uh, They got there. But when people started talking national championship and and all of that nonsense, I I felt like if they had gotten into the playoff, we would not have had the two classics that we had on New Year's Eve. I think they would have got absolutely... run off the field maybe they would have a la oklahoma in some playoffs you know found a way to get a backdoor cover you know we will uh we will see how next year plays out uh for the usc trojans but what we do know guys is that georgia will be going for its second consecutive (laughs) national championship what we will see on monday night let's see if we can end the year on a winner it's been a good year hopefully we can finish on top um, right now, as we record this, once again, just a reminder, I always like to timestamp things because people may listen to this at different times. It is Thursday, January 5th. We are still a couple days away, uh, from, uh, from this game taking place. So, uh, some staying power in this one. Uh, the consensus number is Georgia minus 12 and a half, some 12s out there. It opened 13 and a half, a total of 63, where we sit right now at circa... It was 13 earlier on Thursday. Got back down to 12. It's kind of been hanging around there. Open 13 and a half. I don't recall seeing. I guess there was a 14 there for a moment on New Year's Eve when this game opened. Um, Some of the look ahead lines, guys, for this game. I believe DraftKings had some look ahead lines uh, that you could have bet on. I don't know what the limits were, but... You were in the 16 to 17 range for Georgia being a favorite over TCU. So about a four and a half, five point move. Now I've got plenty of thoughts on this game. We'll kind of go down the line. Uh, We'll start with, uh, we'll start with the total, Adam. Anything intrigue you with the total uh, in this
4: game? Well, I think the total is kind of fascinating because I, I saw, I believe it was John Murray over at the Westgate say, maybe we got caught up in the moment a little bit, posting this total at 64. Initial money hit the under, dropped it down to about 61 and and now it's back up to primarily 63 in the marketplace. And I thought it was really intriguing that, you know, Kirby Smart, after the win over Ohio State, talked about the high-scoring nature of the playoff games and how he felt like his team needed to go out there and put up a number. Because, you know, look, when, when you have this type of format and, and you have, you know, these polls and the playoff committee and all that, you want the sexiest teams possible, and generally speaking, those are going to be teams that put up a lot of points. So Kirby Smart kind of alluded to that in his press conference after beating Ohio State and said, you know, well, we knew it was going to be a high-scoring game. These games just are. And when you look at this one, I think it's going to be really hard to talk yourself into making an under bet here. I mean, Ohio State moved the ball on Georgia. TCU's offense is not exactly like Ohio State's but it's a dual threat type of offense Duggan's a much better runner than Stroud they have tons of speed Georgia got exposed a little bit by the Buckeyes and then Georgia of course I mean they're explosive plays all over the field against the Buckeyes TCU's three three five defense will give up explosive plays also create their own as we saw with the two pick sixes I just think it's really difficult to find a way to talk yourself into an under in this game. And maybe it comes
3: through, but I will not have an under ticket in this one. The Georgia defense has allowed 850 passing yards in the past two games. Yeah. That's to LSU and uh, Ohio State, obviously. 549 total yards to LSU, 467 to Ohio State. It's too easy to see this game becoming – a, uh, a track meet for me to play under, so I, I would echo the thoughts, Adam. I always like to look under first in this game. I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna play the total.
2: Interesting note, um,
3: real quick. I, I yeah. think something with regards to the total and and the big thing about the semifinals was
4: explosive plays, right? So TCU, six point four yards per carry on the Michigan defense, 225 passing yards on just 14 completions. And then Stetson Bennett almost threw for 400 yards with 23 completions against Ohio State. You cannot take an under in a game where we could have several plays of
2: 30, 40, 50-plus yards. Mm -hmm. So here's an interesting note that was uh, pointed out. CFB Film Room tweeted this out, said, Georgia's defense, to Matt's point, ranks 80th in completion percentage allowed on throws 15 yards or more downfield. However, if you dive into it, and Stats War tweeted this out, 63% of those attempts came against Georgia when they were down or up by at least two scores. So the numbers could be a bit misleading. However, Ohio State was able to do whatever they wanted against them throughout the game. My question to you guys and why ultimately I will be on Georgia in this game, Ohio State, and Adam, you know this, and, and Matt, you do too as well, they've been recruiting on the same level as Georgia Year after year, you just look at you know rankings in, in 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 these classes. You know Georgia last three classes three four one. I mean they have been recruiting at an elite level. So yes, Jackson Smith and Jigba goes out with an injury is unavailable. But then Marvin Harrison Jr., who is you know I think number two on Bruce Feldman's preseason freaks list, is a true sophomore. Emerges another five star guy. TCU has a really big-time receiver in Quentin Johnston. obviously. He's going to go first round in the draft. But do they have enough to take advantage of Georgia's what seems to be vulnerable secondary? That's my biggest question. Because remember, go back to the Michigan game, guys. Max Duggan didn't really play all that well throwing the ball through the air. No, I think it's a
4: fair point, and as I said, I mean, Duggan only had 14 completions in that game against Michigan, and of course they had 14 points off the pick sixes of their 51. It's a fair question, especially because Quentin Johnston you know, had six catches, had the one really, really big explosive play for 76 yards. Where's the help for him? If George is able to take him away, and I don't know if they're able to, maybe he's just that dynamic of a player, where's the help for him? Because the other guys combined for eight catches, for what about 62 yards so i think it's a really astute point to make is you know for tcu if kendry miller can't play in this game because he's also a factor in the passing game with swing passes using the speed to the outside all of that if he's unable to play in this game does Duggan have a number two option does he have a number three option or does he have to run it and when he ran it 15 times for 57 yards the longest carry was 14 3.8 yards per carry against michigan What what does TCU do if Johnston's not the guy who's open for them? So I think it's a really fair question to ask.
2: For Ohio State, I'll just point this out, Matt, before getting to you. Uh, Another stat that was thrown out there. Four Buckeyes receivers combined for 93.5% of the targets and 95% of the yards. For TCU, one player, Quentin Johnston, had 33% of the targets and 72.4% of the yards, kind of doubling down on what you said, Adam. So it's going to be up to Sonny Dykes uh, and this offense to to try to figure out creative ways to get the ball to Quentin Johnston. He's that good of a player. But my curiosity about it is, you know, when Georgia has an injury, when Ohio State has an injury, you just, okay, here's another five-star guy we can just plug in. TCU doesn't have that luxury.
3: Oh, of course not. That's why Kendra Miller, if his if he's absent in this game, I think it's going to be a problem for the frogs. I'm not going to read too much into the TCU Michigan box score because the frogs led the entire way and they scored twice on pick sixes, and that skews the box
2: score a little bit. So, um, but I think too to this point, Matt. Yeah. The first drive of the game from Michigan, they go right down the field and then they get cute, right? They run the Philly special, well, which I
3: heard like, some play calling in the red zone was horrendous. Well, for and the that's Wolverines.
2: two where you know I, I'm not going to take away from TCU; they deserve to win that game. But there's a but: they scored on two pick sixes, they got a overturned touchdown, which probably shouldn't have been overturned. There's still probably about it. And yep. then yep. they that was to a f- touchdown. And then the next yeah. play, they fumble into the end zone sure. and they get that ball. So they had three possessions inside the five yard line that led to a total of three points they gave the other team 14 points and they still emerged as just a six point winner now they were dominating that game to an extent in the first half and then it became the track meet so you know I think there's real hesitation while there just seems to be in the eyes of the betting public this number's too big and TCU's just got the mojo and all that Hmm. you know nonsense that's being floated out there there's a reason this number is as high as it is Because, you know, TCU has really had a razor-thin margin in so many games this year. They needed a fire drill field goal to beat Baylor in one of their last games of the season. And you mentioned it, Matt, too, and we talked about it. They lost in a thriller to Kansas State, who just got absolutely hammered in a game against Alabama. Yeah, I I think the...
3: What you have here is a class difference between the SEC and the Big 12. And that's what's going to show up. But at the same time, I will say this about TCU. The Horn Frogs were not pushed around at the line of scrimmage by the Wolverines like a lot of people thought they totally were. Totally agree. And that's what impressed me the most about TCU in that game. And I'm not going to count out Max Duggan either because that kid, he's a tough player, man. Mm-hmm. He's a playmaker. And he, he'll try to find a way to get it done. That, that said, you know, before we get to the picks – a portion here I I don't think Cinderella is going to be able to close the deal and uh, this Georgia team's not nearly as good as last year's Georgia team but the Bulldogs caught a break because the Buckeyes let them off the hook
2: they did the no,
3: Buckeyes just blew it they let them off the hook and uh, that's something that Ryan Day and Adam Burke and guys like that are <laughs> going to regret for a long time that's just <laughs> yeah. I line, mean, huh? I hope.
4: I hope the silver lining. You know, they talked about this. Uh, Kirk, Her- Kirk Herb actually mentioned this that you know Ryan Day may be giving up play calling. Which, God, that'd be great. Especially Brian Hartline is the guy who winds up being the offensive coordinator, who's been the wide receivers coach, recruiting sure. all of these absurd talents that the Buckeyes have had. To to Matt's point regarding the box score for this TCU Michigan game. Michigan had over seven yards per play in this game I mean you know there was a lot of talk throughout the game about Joe Gillespie and this unique 3-3-5 stack defense and you know how it's kind of hard to crack and stuff like that Michigan adjusted and cracked it they scored 39 points in the second half Georgia has time to look at this figure out the best ways that they can attack it and if they don't throw two pick sixes and if they don't fumble at the goal line and if they don't have a touchdown taken off the board. Look, I I think TCU can hang. I think TCU's identity is enough for them to hang around in this game because, as Matt said, they weren't pushed around at the line of scrimmage. They have a very veteran offensive line. They've got a guy in Duggan who's able to move the chains with his legs. But it's very hard for me to see a scenario in which TCU pulls the upset here. Right. Also, I
3: I think Michigan – piled up a lot of those yards and big plays because they were so far behind mm-hmm. and they were playing catch up and that makes it easier That's
2: and, true. I, and i don't think i'm almost i'm almost certain stetson bennett won't make the same mistakes that jj mccarthy was making oh boy i mean and now you've got extra tape watching the 335 which certainly is unique and joe gillespie deserves a ton of credit look i counted them out i didn't lay the number uh, against Texas, but I was on Texas on a, on a money line parlay, and Texas was outclassed in that game. But I think comparing Steve Sarkeesian to Kirby Smart and his staff is is night and day right now, um, and the sure. way that they went about preparing for that game. George has been here before, and you know, at some point, look TCU. I keep saying it; they deserve a ton of credit. They, you know, they they won it fair and square. They were the better team on New Year's Eve, but at some point, does the lack of experience i think in totality what four players on this team played in a bowl game and now they're playing for a national championship and maybe that goes out the window because they played you know in the fiesta bowl they won the fiesta bowl and and they're battle tested that's possible but you know a lot of factors to me lean me to playing georgia here you look at the look ahead line being at 17 and now it's moved five points when you look at the public just racing to take the points and believing in the Horn Fogs. Look, like they have a lot this year and they've been reaped the benefits of, of taking or laying the points with TCU whether it's perceived a short number or getting disrespected like that against Texas. But I think we've seen this story before where the Cinderella, so to speak goes in and gets absolutely smoked and you know this to me, and I don't know. Maybe it's because I have PTSD to this game, but this reminds me a little bit of Notre Dame Alabama oh, in boy. 2013. That that could have been a lot worse than the score. Too. The second now, I to your point, Adam, I was very impressed, and TCU is more tested than that Notre Dame team was in in 2012 because they just beat Michigan. However. Everybody thought that number was way too high. That number was inflated. It wasn't. It could have been a lot higher. It should have been higher. Notre Dame was lucky to only lose by 28 that day. So I'm going to lay the 12 here uh, with Georgia. I recognize the back door certainly could be open. Uh, I saw a stat. I think the, you know, what was it? The Ohio State uh, Miami National Championship was the biggest spread that we've seen in a national championship game. And of course, Ohio State won that game in overtime. So. Look, it's possible. It's possible that the, the public is going to be celebrating, you know, taking it and, and yelling at me, saying it's too many points. But I think at the end of the day, when you look at recruiting classes for TCU that ranked 45, 54, 23, and 32 versus 3, 4, 1, and 2, I think ultimately the cream rises to the top. And look, think back to the Tennessee game. Everybody said that number was too high. The back door almost came home, so that could be the possibility here in the national championship. But Georgia had a perfect game plan defensively to stifle what was the best offense in the country. So I'm going to lay it with uh, with Georgia here. I'm going to lay the 12 against the uh, the hypnotoad. I'm going to be that. I'm going to be the party pooper. You know, laying the points against Cinderella here.
3: Well, I'm going to look at it this way. I think the public might take the money line yep, as we get a closer to And line. this might become a Super Bowl-type scenario. Agreed. Where the public takes the money line on TCU, and you get a bargain on Georgia on the money line price. And that's what I'm going to be looking out for, because, Tim, you know I don't like to lay points. I know you don't. And uh, I don't like to lay a lot of points. And you're still laying double digits here. But you might get a bargain on the money line, and that's how I might bet Georgia here. So
2: let me ask you this just – Right now, the cheapest money line I see is around minus 425. Our friends at the South Point have it on Thursday. There's some 430s out there. But that's something I've been hearing all week, right? And, I, Matt, you talk to more odds makers than I do. That's kind of the the thought process is eventually this money line is going to come down. Is there a, a target number you're looking for on this money line?
3: You know, if you get around minus 350, yeah. I'll think about laying it with Georgia. And we've seen that happen in Super Bowls before where big favorites that money line just crashes and you can't resist, and you lay that price. So I, I'm not going to lay more than 350 but once it gets around that neighborhood, I'll definitely think about laying it with Georgia.
4: Yeah, I think Matt's on the right track. If, if you find a, a cheap-ish, and, and minus three, calling minus 350 cheap, it's, not really it's probably going to be strange to a lot of people, but right. in the context of this game where I think Georgia could win by a ton, I think Georgia could win by 7 or 10 points, I just think Georgia wins. Mm-hmm. So... In that respect, it definitely makes some sense. But again, you know, you think about it's it's not as celebrated, I guess, as it was a few years ago, especially now kind of in the in the legal sports betting environment. But there are a lot of props and things available for this type of game. A lot of player props are going to be out there. I want to know if Kendra Miller is going to play. I think that has a significant impact on TCU's offensive game plan. If we get some more clarity on that, that's going to open up some different things from a prop betting standpoint. So to me, I'm kind of looking to play some of the derivative and some of the prop markets on this game. You know, maybe find a Georgia team total over something like that. Um, you know, again, we're doing this, what, four days in advance of the game, too. Yep. So if you force me to take something in a traditional sense, side or total, it would be the over 63, 62 and a half. But for right now, I think I'm
2: waiting on a depressed money line price on Georgia and then also some of the other prop betting options that will be available. Well, as always, make sure to check out com. Adam, Matt, myself will all have some sort of write-up on the website regarding this game when the prop markets start to pop out. Uh, certainly a bigger uh, portfolio of prop bets for a college game than, than we're ever used to because it is a standalone and a national championship, such a high-profile game. So we will see how this all plays out. Georgia laying 12, Uh Maybe it goes down. I'll ask you this, guys, before we, we run. So officially for the podcast i'll lay the 12 with uh, with georgia here but do you think this thing drops because i i imagine there are groups out there because it, my feel and and you guys could disagree is that sharp money hasn't really been shown yet I, I think it's waiting until this thing hits a number and they're ready to pounce maybe they got a cheap 14 and that's where they got it but i think you know the volume is moving this number down not through any key numbers do we get anywhere close to 11? I think that's probably where, where the strike point is for some sharp groups out there, I would imagine, on Georgia.
3: I could see that. I could see that happening. I mean, you got to also take into account that the public's not going to get involved in this game until the day before, probably. Right. You know, you're betting the NFL on Sunday, and then you got this championship game on Monday, so uh, you're not going to see an influx of uh, public money until late. I, I can see the number crashing to 11. I think that's as low as it gets yeah I agree with Matt. If it goes down, I think eleven is kind of the
4: stopping point. I would have it prior to the bowl season. If we take out what happened in the semifinals, I'd have had Georgia minus fourteen and a half. So I think that there's still a chance that there will be some people that wait around on this game, whether it's the money line price that Matt talked about, or wait for this to go down to eleven and a half, eleven and then take Georgia. I do think that. I'm not going to call it a pros versus Joe's game because I, I hate when we simplify things like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that there will be a significant amount of respected money on Georgia
2: by the time this game kicks off. I agree. And I think this number will rise, might not get back to 14, but I think it ends in that 12 and a half, 13 range. That would be my guess. I think there's going to be, like we saw a lot during the bowl season, a lot of late action uh, here on the favorites. So we will see how it plays out georgia tcu thanks as always to listening to the Vsin college football betting podcast like i mentioned head to vsin.com for tons of written content on the national championship
0: for matt humans and adam burke i'm tim murray enjoy the game
1: Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.
0: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com.
3: It's my little escape.
0: Now Judy's the life of the party.
3: Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon.
0: Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs>